Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. We've made it to Numbers chapter 7. And Numbers 7 starts a new section in the book of Numbers. But before we start looking at that new section, let's remind ourselves what we've already discussed in the book of Numbers. Chapters 1 through 6 really focus on God setting up the camp that He was going to be in the middle of the camp in a tabernacle and the tribes, the 12 tribes would be surrounding him. And if he was going to be in the middle of camp, we talked about how sin and uncleanness needed to be away from the camp. Last uh, podcast, we discussed that there was this option of taking this voluntary Nazarite vow. It wasn't something he commanded, but it was something that was optional. If if someone wanted to be fully and completely devoted to the Lord, they could take this Nazarite vow. So that's Numbers 1 through 6. And then we reach Numbers chapter 7. And God wants the people to learn what it means to celebrate his presence. So over the next three podcasts or so, the next three chapters of Numbers especially, the people are having to learn what it means to live in the presence of God and what it looks like to celebrate that. So let's begin by by reading just a couple verses at the beginning of Numbers chapter 7. It says this, Now on the day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it with all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. He anointed them and consecrated them also. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's households, made an offering. They were the the leaders of the tribes. They were the ones who were over the numbered men. So the setting of number seven is when Moses finished setting up the tabernacle. So for those of you who have uh, listened to some of these teachings in the past, You might remember in Exodus chapter 40, in verse 17, it says, Now on the first day of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. So a year after Exodus, picture the people at the base of Mount Sinai, and the tabernacle gets erected. That is where we are in the story. Can you imagine If you would have been there that day at the base of Mount Sinai, it must have been an amazing, amazing day. And we see in the scriptures that on that day, offerings were given to the Lord. We're going to read about those. And and we read that on that day, God shows up. A cloud covers the tabernacle and it says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And we're going to unpack that more when we get to Numbers chapter 9. But I want you to picture that day. You have a people that God had set around him. And he removed those who were unclean because he he was going to show up 
and they were ready to worship and experience God's presence. And they had to learn what it meant to celebrate that he was among them. So verse 1 says that Moses anointed and consecrated the tabernacle, the altar, and all its furnishings. And this may seem strange to a lot of us. I don't necessarily go around, I don't have a, some oil in my pocket and go around anointing things uh, commonly. But we see that all throughout Scripture. It was a common Near Eastern practice. So much so, you read stories like Genesis 28. Jacob erects this pillar at Bethel. Do you know what he does? He says he anoints it. Why? Because in the scriptures it says it would be God's house. So anointing something was an act of setting that thing or that place apart for the Lord. So in number seven, the tabernacle, the altar, the furnishings were anointed because they were going to be set aside for special service for the Lord. And in, in number seven, if we keep going, we're, we're not going to read every verse. This is a long chapter. But you see the leaders of each tribe, and they, the, the first thing they bring are carts and oxen, because that tabernacle had to be moved. So they needed a way to move the things of the tabernacle. And we actually discussed this in greater detail when we were looking at Numbers chapter 4. But let me remind you of a couple things we talked about during that podcast. In Numbers uh, 7, we see that God gave the Gershonites, so that was uh, uh, one of the sons of Levi from that line, the Gershonites, two carts and four oxen. Now, what did the Gershonites, what were they in charge of carrying at the tabernacle? If you remember, they're the ones that, that carry the curtains, the entranceways. Well, those things aren't all that heavy, so a couple carts, four oxen, that should do it. But then we also see the Merarites, which is another son of Levi, that family line, was given four ox, four carts and eight oxen. Well, they were the ones that had to carry the structural things of the tabernacle, like the pegs and the bars and the frames and the pillars. Those things are heavier, so they needed a little more help. But understand, we discussed this back in Numbers 4. The Kohathites, that third group of Levites, they didn't get to have any oxen or any carts. Why? Verse 9 in Numbers chapter 7 says specifically, but he did not give any, talking about the carts and oxen, to the sons of Kohath, because theirs was the service of the holy objects which they carried on their shoulder. They were to carry the altar, the ark. Those were holy objects, the menorah. All these things were to be carried on their shoulders. Do you remember back in Numbers 4, we talked about the story in 2 Samuel 6, where David had just defeated the Philistines, and he was leading all of Israel back to Jerusalem. And it says they were celebrating with all their might. And on the journey, um, 
They set the ark on a cart. And one of those oxen stumbled. And a man named Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark. When he touched it, he was struck down. Why? He wasn't supposed to touch the ark. And we know that story. And we say, Uzzah, don't you know better? Don't you know, God says, don't touch the ark. But listen, guys, the ark was never supposed to be on a cart to begin with. Uzzah should have never been in that situation because the ark was to be carried. That was a specific instruction of numbers. So we see all these carts and oxen divvied out. And then in the in in, chat, in verse uh, excuse me verse ten, the leaders of each tribe bring a dedication offering. Now, what's that? Believe it or not, the Hebrew word for dedication here is Hanukkah. See, Hanukkah, that Hebrew word, it just means an open dedi- uh, an, uh, an opening dedication of say a, a house or a temple or an altar. And you see that in other places in Scripture, that same dedication offering. And it's always about something that's going to be used for the Lord. The Jewish holiday of Hanukkah that's celebrated even today celebrates the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem by the Maccabees, the Maccabean revolt. Now, today, if you celebrate Hanukkah, Every morning, you read a scripture from the Torah. Believe it or not, the scripture that is read every day comes from Numbers chapter 7. Why? Because this is where you read about a Hanukkah offering, a dedication offering. So these are the passages. They read all eight days of Hanukkah. And you may notice if you have your Bibles, that Numbers chapter 7 is extremely long, 89 verses. Why is it so long? Well, if you read it, you see the leader of all 12 tribes bring gifts from their tribe. And it was one tribe per day, one leader of each tribe per day brought their gift or their gifts. took 12 days. You can read about those in detail in verses 12 through 83. My guess is if you're reading this chapter, you probably would just skim straight over a lot of these verses. You see, it's a lot of repetition. Every single leader brought the exact same gifts during these 12 days. Every tribe gave the same gifts. They brought a silver platter and a silver bowl. And all, and each of those had um, fine flour mixed with oil, and that was their grain offering. They brought a gold pan with incense. They go, they brought a bull. They brought a ram. They bought a uh, they brought a, a male lamb. They they brought a young goat and two oxen and five rams and five adult goats and five more lambs. Listen, that's extravagant. That's a, that's a that's a lot of stuff. It was a generous, generous offering from each tribe. And we just read right past that. But if God's people were going to learn how to worship Him correctly, they needed to learn what it meant 
to be givers. A year before this, understand they were slaves. They're in Egypt under bondage. Slaves are not generous by nature. Slaves have to be takers by nature because they don't know where the next provision is coming from. So they have to hoard what they get and ration it out. That's the life of a slave. And God says, okay, now, if you're going to be my people, and as we travel together in the wilderness, you need to learn what it means to be a giver, not a taker. You're no longer a slave. You know, the same is true for us. As we go through things in life, during this recording, there's a pandemic going on worldwide. And it's been truly heartbreaking to see so many people looking out for themselves and hoarding things because they're not sure when they can get it again. So you go to the store and they're completely out of some of the basic necessities. Listen, God is our provider. He will provide for his kids. You know, yesterday I was reading Matthew chapter 6. And I got to this and it stopped me in my tracks as I was thinking about the idea of trusting God and being a giver. It says this, verses 31 to 34. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you, what, that, that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God is our provider. Trust him. Even in hard and uncertain times, the question is, how can we trust him so much that even in those moments, we're a giver, not a taker. How can you display to the world what it means to fully trust in the Lord if you're being a taker? You can't. And so God was trying to teach his kids. They're out in the wilderness and, and you need to be generous. And I think the same is true for us today. Now, know that God didn't necessarily command these specific gifts, however. Yes, he wants them to understand what it means to be givers, but part of their heart was this was a spontaneous giving. There were other things he required. Some of these things were actually spontaneous. And I think when we recognize God's presence among us, and the grace he gives to us, we can't help but respond by being a giver and being generous. So you know what? We want to give our time to him. He's blessed us with so much. 
certain time throughout the day, certain time throughout the week, and we want to be good stewards of that time. We want to give our energy to Him because we recognize how awesome He is and the grace He gives us. So we want to use even our energy. We want to look around and be servants to others and use that time and energy in a way that serves the people around us. And yeah, we want to be generous with our finances. You know, my question to you as you listen to this podcast, is your heart bent on giving? Are you a giver? I think we come into this world by nature being a taker. When you have a heart change, one thing that should follow is that you should become a giver and you should be generous, generous in your giving because you know God is your provider and he is going to meet your needs. Now, there's something else about these gifts that you read about in all these verses. We said a minute ago they were the exact same gift. When they were going to worship God and support this tabernacle that he set up, each tribe gave the exact same gift. And and it's easy to read this chapter and think, my goodness, there's so much wasted space here. It's repeating the same thing over and over 12 times. Couldn't God have recorded this story differently? Well, know that he's making a point. Every tribe is being portrayed as bringing the same gift, whether you're Judah and you're the leader or you're Dan and you're the rear guard, whether you have a lot or you have a little. It's not, a, it's not some sort of competition. Everyone was on equal footing when it came to the cross. They were unified with each other. When it comes to our worship today, I think the same things are true. God wants a unified body. He wants us to be one body for his sake. But we have to understand we are on equal footing at the base of the cross. When it comes to worshiping him, we're all on equal footing. It doesn't matter if God has called us to be a full-time minister. It doesn't matter if he's called us to be serving him overseas somewhere as a full-time missionary. It doesn't matter if he's called you to some eight-to-five job somewhere where nobody is even looking for the gospel where you are. Listen, when it comes to worship, we all come equally. We're on equal footing. But there's something you need to understand about worship because when I say that, our minds tend to go straight to what happens on a Sunday morning when a hymn is being played or a praise song is being sung. Worship, yes, can happen then, but that's not the fullness of what worship is. Worship, by definition, is when God reveals himself and his ways and we respond appropriately. 
We respond with worship. So here's the deal. Worship can happen every morning when I wake up and I read his word. And I see there are things that my line or not, my life is not lining up with, with his word. When I respond appropriately and I confess those sins and I ask him to forgive me and I get back on his path, that is worship. Or worship can happen when God pricks my heart right now to serve someone else, maybe even just to make a phone call or to pray with somebody. When I respond appropriately as he's leading me, that is worship. Worship can happen when I pray and he convicts me of certain things and I line myself back up with his will. Worship happens. It's not simply about singing. Yes, worship can happen then too. But it's not when you mindlessly sing songs. When you're singing those worship songs, you may be singing songs you've you've sang over and over and over. Worship only happens when you are meaning what you're singing. That's worship. That's worship. See, worships are very live. And we are all on equal footing when it comes to worship. When God reveals himself and his ways to you, respond appropriately. Worship. Now, for the, for the rest of this podcast, I want us to look at the very last verse of Numbers chapter 7. It says this, it's verse 89. Now, when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with him, God, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. So he spoke to him. What would it be like to hear the audible voice of God? Just like Moses did there. Can you imagine? In 2015, I went on a teaching trip to Vietnam. And when I was there, I met a man who was born in Vietnam. And he, he lived for about 40 years in the United States. And then he moved back to Vietnam. His name is True. T-R-U. True. And for the past 10 years, True has been in Vietnam attempting to reach his people for Jesus Christ. Now understand, True lives apart from his family. He gets to see them about once a year because he says, the Lord has placed me in Vietnam. And he says, my role is to be a bondservant for the Lord and proclaim the gospel. Does that sound radical to you? Well, what if I told you that True was so convinced about the reality of Jesus because True spoke with him multiple times beginning in 1983? True, he, he literally heard the voice of Jesus on multiple occasions. And you may be listening to this podcast and saying, yeah, right. No way. 
I wish I could take you with me to Vietnam. I wish you could come meet True and talk to him about the moments that he spoke with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, when you you speak to him, his eyes light up. You see, truth has much of the Bible memorized. And we'd be talking, and all of a sudden, he would just start quoting scripture. And his face would begin to shine. And after he, he, he quoted the text, he always had the same phrase that he repeated over and over. He would say, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Number seven, we see another man who heard the voice of God. See, Moses spoke with God in the tent of meeting. Could you imagine talking with Moses about that meeting, about God? I bet his face would light up. I just imagine Moses repeating the same words of true. It's amazing. It's amazing. See, understand, God was no longer at the top of Mount Sinai. He was no longer covering the mountain. God was now in the midst of his people. He had changed locations. And he was now in a portable tabernacle where he could move with his people. And God spoke to Moses. Now understand, Israel, the people, needed a leader that heard the voice of God, that knew his voice. And wherever you are right now, if you have a church family and you have a pastor or a preacher or you have elders or you have people that are leaders in your church that actively seek God's voice and they know his voice, and they live to please Him. Praise God. We need leaders like Moses who go into the tent of meeting, into the Holy of Holies, and sit down at the foot of the Lord. That's exactly what Moses was. Now, I've never in my life heard the audible voice of God. But I'm convinced he still speaks. I know he speaks audibly to some people. I've met true. And I'm telling you, you cannot hear true and watch his life and think he's lying about hearing God's voice. I know the reality that he does speak to people. But let me tell you, I know God speaks to me through his word. So many times he has guided me to an exact scripture that I needed for a specific day. And he's he's revealed these amazing truths during my time with him. So many times I hear him speak to me through his word. Even if I never physically hear his audible voice this side of heaven, I know he still speaks because it happens every day. 
is that open his word. Now, as we finish together, I want us to think about, so how does God speak? There's something that's really helped me in figuring this out. How does God speak? How does God speak to you? Well, John 10, 27 says that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If he is our shepherd, a shepherd leads by voice. So if he's our shepherd, he is speaking. The question is, are we in tune with the frequency of his voice? So one of the teachings that has truly impacted me about this is the truth of of experiencing God, written by um, Henry and, and Richard Blackaby. Experiencing God is an incredible book. They have a a smaller version called Seven Truths from Experiencing God. I'll put a link up on on the episode notes if you're interested. But in that, there are five ways that they teach that God speaks. The first way, they say, is God speaks through the Holy Spirit. God speaks through the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, you received all of the Holy Spirit you will ever have. Because the Holy Spirit is a being. It's a person. You don't get just an arm or just a leg. You get all of him. The question is, how much of the Holy Spirit, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? See, he can be there with you, but if you don't yield to him, he can't do his business. So that's one way he speaks is if you are saved, if if Jesus Christ is in your life, you have the Holy Spirit. One way he does speak is through that spirit. Second way God speaks is through the Bible. He uses, like I said a minute ago, his word to speak to us. Listen, we must be in his word if we want to hear him. So last week, how much were you in his word? Have you been in his word this morning? How do you expect God to speak to you if you're not in his word? And know that every day there may not be some magical revelation. There may not be something you need for that moment. I love the Jewish uh, teaching on this. The rabbis say this, that when, when we read a text and it's not something I need for that moment, I should dance with joy because God is preparing me. For a day unseen. There are things you need from God a month from now, a year from now, that today he's wanting to put in you so that you'll be ready at that moment. But what if you don't spend time in his word today? You will not be prepared at the moment you need to be prepared. So one of the ways we need to respond, if God speaks through the Bible, when I read things like Matthew 6, like I discussed earlier in the podcast, and it says, don't be anxious about anything, that God's going to take care of you. Just trust him. That means, you know what? I need to put this into practice today. I need to be obedient and walk out what I'm learning. 
So he speaks through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through the Bible. The third way God speaks is he speaks through prayer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus models the importance of prayer. He wakes up in the morning. He goes up on the mountainside to pray. And that Greek word, uh, prosuxomai, it means to literally exchange God's will for your own will. You see it 86 times in the New Testament. See, prayer is not supposed to be something we run to just to bombard heaven with all of our wants. It's a dialogue. And one thing about prayer that Jesus did every day was say, God, please exchange my will for yours. And we see that lived out even in the garden before he's about to be crucified, where he says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And that's the definition of prayer. You see, through, through prayer is where God gives his faith statements of this is what I want you to do to please me or to you to be about. This is what's pleasing about my will. He gives us his preferences. And our role is to be connected to his voice so that when we hear those preferences, we hear his will, we walk them out. So yes, he speaks through prayer. Fourth way he speaks is God speaks through circumstances. There are probably things in your life you can look back on and say, oh yeah, that was an open door. God opened that door and I knew that's the way I was supposed to go because of the circumstances. Well, many times that happens. God will do certain things and align certain things up to say, you know what? This is my will and everything is pointing to it. So yes, five ways God speaks. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. Number one, he speaks through the Bible. Number two, he speaks through prayer. Number three, he speaks through circumstances. Number four, and lastly, God speaks to the church and believers. If you have some decision to make, if you have something that you truly need to hear God's voice on, go run to his word. Be sensitive to his spirit. Yes, pray. Look at the circumstances. But listen, guys, don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Discuss issues with other believers because God has put his spirit in them as well. And so many times in my life, he's used other believers to speak directly to me. To understand if he's speaking through another believer, it will never contradict his word. So make sure you put that next to his word. I have scriptures to back up all five of the way God speaks. Feel free to reach out to me if you want some of those scriptures. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Arbel Ministries. I'd be happy to get you anything you need to help you in this journey so that you can hear the voice of your shepherd. So this begins our look at this next section of the book of Numbers. And we discuss this section, we're talking about celebrating God's presence. So yes, God is with us. 
He's our provider among us. And our role is to trust him. In that, knowing he's our provider is to look how how can we be a giver and not a taker. We need to learn what it means to worship him as he reveals himself, as he reveals his ways that we respond appropriately. And we need to realize he is still speaking. He still speaks today. So look for those ways that he speaks. Get your ear in tuned with his voice. When he speaks, act out what he tells you to do. I just want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next one together in Numbers chapter 8. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're listening to this and you like this type of teaching and you want to experience God's word come to life like you have never experienced it, I want to encourage you, think about and pray about coming to Israel with me. There is nothing I've done in my life that has brought the text to life like going to Israel. Now, you can be an amazing, devoted follower and disciple of Jesus Christ and never step foot in Israel. So this is not something that if you don't feel the leading to do, that you need to do. But if, if, if you're itching to see the Bible come to life like you've never experienced, I would love to talk to you about my next trip to Israel. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again uh, in the next podcast.